with Saruti. This is your host, Ben Saruti, and tonight joining me is somebody well-known in the Cardinals Twitterverse. His name is Daniel Shoptaw. Some of you know him as C70. Some of you know him as the Blogfather. How are you tonight, Daniel? Doing fine. Glad to be here. Glad to be on the other side of the podcast's microphone, I guess, as it were. Uh, But I do, before we get started, I gotta ask you know, because that's what I do. I ask the questions on my shows most of the time. So I want to ask you a question before we even get started. And let's do this. Yeah, your last show you talked about talked to Stu Styles. Great interview. Really cool. And I'm probably going to steal and have him on at some point in time and on one of you our should. shows. He was a blast. To talk he was. To. And so I understand it was his music that's underneath, which is cool. It was great music. Where did you come? I mean, which? Why did you pick out those calls from Danny Mac to put with it, or was there a reason for those? So um, when I got the idea of starting a podcast, uh, I just talked to Cardinals Gifts a little bit, and then I talked to our Birds on the Black chat, and I said, hey, what are, what are just some of the memorable calls of recent years? Because, you know, like uh, Two Birds on a Bat, they had uh, them and, and Ruffled Feathers, and, oh, I'm trying to remember, there's one other one that does a lot of, a lot of calls prior to the show and I, I liked those intros and they kind of got me pumped for the show every time. So I knew I wanted to do something with that. Mm-hmm. It seems like they had all the classic calls. And so I wanted to update it a little bit and do, do something a little bit newer and have, make sure it was Danny Mac and not like uh, Jack Buck or Joe Buck on the call or anything like that. Um, I wanted the current, current, current Cardinals TV voice, you know, and, and, I wanted to to portray just some of the fun stuff. So, so the the Matt Adams Homer with the with the big boy uh, mm-hmm. uh, that one that one was a fun one for me. Um, I had to incorporate something that was a dig against the Cubs, so that Wrigley Field massacre line fit perfectly. <laughs> um, coming fresh off last year with the the painting one, that I mean they still talk about that on the air. Oh, so. They'll be talking about that for years. And then Cardinals Gifts had just so much fun with that Ravello one when it happened <laughs> that, that I don't think that the Birds on the Black would have allowed me to produce the show without throwing <laughs> that one in there, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> even though, you know, I wanted to anyway, but even if I didn't, uh, I don't know if they would have allowed me on the airwaves without doing that. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes. Yeah, I get that. I kind of feel like it felt like it was a uh, looking for the modern touch with with Danny Mac, but uh, you know that that's cool. That is great. I, it's a enjoyable enjoyable intro. So, all right. Now I, I'm done. I, I'll get out. Of, I'll get out of. I'll get out of your seat and get back over here. I guess. All right. Well, two things. One is I, I I'm sure that I've said this on conversations with Rudy before, but I did want to shout out Jeff Niehouse, who uh, at Fly the L or used to fly the L or something. I don't know. I know it changed. I think he's one back point. to fly the L now. Yeah. He's right here. Okay. Fly, fly the L. Okay. That's what I thought too, is he was back to that. Well, uh, Jeff actually put the Danny Mac calls over the Stu styles music, uh, which comes out on April 2nd. Everybody go get it. Um, and so just a big shout out to him because he did such an awesome job with that before I learned how to do anything with putting these things together. He was on that. Thank you again to him. Um, all right. So, uh, 
we go from from me talking about kind of the new school Danny Mac to me wanting to talk a little bit more old school stuff here. Um, as someone who I still feel somewhat like an outsider to Cardinals Twitter sometimes, and I definitely feel almost completely oblivious to the origins of Cardinals Twitter. And with you being the blog father and all, I was going to start with some of the most basic questions here I could. So, uh, so Daniel, how did you start blogging and how long have you been doing it? Um, well, how long? Uh, this July, I think it's July 13th, 14th, somewhere in there. But we'll be 14 years, um, which is pretty long in blogging terms. I've kind of seen that over the last... Well, 14 years that it, you know, blogs kind of come and go. And as, as life gets in the way, it's a lot harder to write. And I don't write as much as I used to, but, um, um, why I got into it. Um, I was doing a little bit of personal blogging, uh, before that, um, you know, it'd be in the pre Facebook days of putting up pictures of kids and, and just general ideas of what we were doing and softball and stuff like that. And, um, talking about the Cardinals a little bit here and there on that. And there was a, a game, Right after the All Star break in 2007, uh, the Cardinals had pushed, uh, it had struggled that year, of course, you know, coming off the uh, World Series win and Carpenter being out. But there was some positive momentum going into the All Star break. And then the game after that, the first game back, Kip Wells goes out and gives up like five runs in the first inning. And, and then later that night it was found out that Chris Carpenter had a setback and he wasn't in like all of that just dissipated like immediately. And I first wanted to write about it. I wanted to talk about it, but it was like, I don't think this is where you know, people that are coming to look at pictures of my kids and, and general things, they don't care about that. So <laughs> right. I fired up, um, you know, I was fired up WordPress, um, started, kind of hunted or spent probably as long trying to figure out a name as I did writing the, the post in the first place, um, got with it and then just kind of took off and got into a, a rhythm of, of doing that. And, um, you know, the blog has moved to two or three different places uh, over the span of its life. But, um, you know, people still check it out every once in a while. So it's pretty cool. All right. Cool. Um, I was kind of introduced to the Cardinals internet universe via, via Viva Albertos, which mm-hmm. you know, I think that happened with a lot of people that are not St. Louisans and some St. Louisans as well. But I would say it was probably around 05 or 06, back before it was part of SBN. And uh, I do remember celebrating the 06 World Series championship on that page, but I don't remember how much earlier than that I was joined it. And I would occasionally write some posts there or mostly just be in the chat there. Um, uh, for me, flyover country baseball on Facebook is my personal page there. And and that page was created in July of 2011. Um, so I'm a little bit behind you there, but I know that, you know, my Facebook page was, was, it wasn't dedicated to baseball by any means, but Mm -hmm. that's the only place where I had to write about it. I know, I, I think I've probably been writing at least just random crap about cardinals for nearly as long as you but but officially i guess flyover country is about to turn 10 years that's pretty good i mean like i said it's you know to have consistent and regular content i yeah i've been followed your flyover country on facebook before i before i think we even interacted but uh to be able to keep it going for for any length of time especially now i think twitter um it doesn't eliminate blogging because blogging is where you can actually expand those thoughts and stuff like that. But it also takes away some of the momentum to try to write something because you can throw out short points on Twitter. And, and sometimes you feel like you've done that in podcasting too. So by the time you sit down to write, it's like, you know, do I have anything new to say? Now, you know, for me, for you, for, for, you know, doing your, doing a lot of the projections, doing a lot of the analytics, doing a lot of the research stuff, that's always going to have a place in blogging. Um, You know, my, more seat of the pants stuff, uh, you know, sometimes gets mitigated by the other things I do. Yeah. I think you do a good job of keeping, keeping up with it by, by doing some of those fun things like you do playing pepper where you're talking to other Mm -hmm. groups where you kind of, I don't know if you do that by email or whatever it is, but you, you uh, get all those thoughts in one place. And so with multiple people like that, it's kind of, we kind of got to be in that blog form. Um, 
same thing with like the voting for for all the UCB stuff, like the Twitter personality, Cardinals Twitter personality of the year and all that. Um, and, and, yeah, that list. Um, so speaking of, of podcasting then, I, I heard recently that you began your, uh, I'm going to call them podfathering days because I'm <laughs> funny like that, um, with a podcast called Conversations with C70. And uh, had I known that a month or two ago when I started this one, I would have uh, immediately called it a podcast um, homage to that because uh, it would have been the thing to do, apparently. But um, was that your first podcast? Actually, no. That was my first solo podcast, though. That, okay. what The first time, when we first put together the United Cardinal Bloggers, uh, which was end of 07, about the end of 08, we decided, we started doing a show called uh, UCB Radio Hour, which was on uh, Blog Talk Radio, which I think still exists. Um, but Blog Talk was one of those, it was basically radio. I mean, it, you called in and you had to call in and they had a switchboard and people could call in and talk and, and things like that. So you didn't, you know, if somebody was listening, they could call in and be part of the show, which was cool. Oh, cool. Um, problem was that eventually uh, Blog Talk said, hey, we can charge for this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> we were not going to pay for it. But right. um, so that was about 08. Uh, beginning of 11 is when Gateway started. Um, okay. And Gateway started because um, there's a, a blog called Seamheads, which is a fairly well-respected blog. If you check it out, it's got a, a lot of... Uh, uh, well, it's got a lot of writing for lots of different places, but it also has a good uh, Negro Leagues database there that uh, has been recognized by uh, baseball. But anyway, the uh, the guy that runs that wanted to do a podcast network, and he had shows for different, you know, there was a Yankees show, there was a Red Sox show, there was, I think there was one out for the A's maybe even, but he wanted to do a Cardinal show. Bill Ivey and I somehow got together. I think Bill tossed you know tossed some ideas at me trying to get a name to it and somehow i got sucked into actually being part of it um we started that in right at the beginning of 11 and then conversations uh after i'd gotten a little taste of that and figured out what i wanted to do i started conversations a little bit later than 11 um and just you know i talked to just like you're doing talking to either bloggers or in, in either cardinal bloggers other team bloggers out of uh, what I was also doing was a uh, baseball blog, uh, baseball bloggers Alliance, which was like the UCB on a bigger scale um, or talking to, you know, Jamie Pope, the bullpen catcher. I usually talk to him under that label and things of that nature. So I started that. Yeah. About 11. And then of course um, we started, uh, uh, which was started as best dance in baseball, just in part because Dan Buffa and I, started talking and came up with the name and it's like, well, we can't not use that name. Um, and then when Dan, (laughs) Dan had uh, too many, you know, too many irons in the fire, switched it over to meet me unusual and first with John Nagel. And now of course with Alan Medlock, um, that's, and that's kind of, you know, conversations has kind of been put on the back shelf because doing two shows a week, uh, doing, adding another one is a little bit difficult. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, thank you for taking time to add this one this week, at least. Uh, what do you feel like you, you do best? Do you like having guests on by yourself more? Do you like having like Alan and Tara there as a one-on-one to, to kind of meet up? Do you like when you have a two-on-one type where it's like you and Tara with the guests? I don't know if Tara, you and Alan. What, what do you think is your What do you, you know, feel like you're at your best? Um, you know, I think it works well, um, with another person. I mean, one, you got to have another person in general. Um, but when we have guests, I think we've done pretty well, Alan and I have figuring out, you know, how to go back and forth and to keep that conversation going because, um, you know, it could be really, you know, anytime you can have an extra voice in there, I think it helps the listeners not get too, too bored, uh, with one person or another, or you don't feel like you have to, um, pull up the slack. And I know Alan will come up with questions that I, you know, on tracks that I haven't necessarily thought of. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that, you know, helps things, you know, continue to be dynamic and things of that nature. So, uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to try to do it, um, by myself. I could do the, (laughs) what you, what you're doing. Yeah, I could do that, but I think it works better for me probably to have Tara or, or Alan to help cover my flaws. See, and I think for me, uh, 
for me, I like doing it the way I'm doing it because I'm completely selfish sometimes. <laughs> and I really want the questions that yeah. I want to be yeah. asked to be asked at times. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I say that, but then like a couple times I've had, like when I had Brendan Schaefer on, I, I talked to others about uh, maybe what questions they would want to ask. And sometimes if I have Kyle on, and I, I know Kyle and I are going to go along with I'll, I'll take some other people's input as well. Sometimes I won't have enough prepared for a full hour and a half, which I know is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there are times like where I'm like, okay, I've got a question kind of lined up with whatever the guest has said. And then, you know, maybe Alan jumps in and, and then we go off a different way and then, you know, it's like, okay, file that away and it probably wasn't worth it uh, to go in that way anyway. But uh, yeah, there is that little bit of, Oh man, you know, I was going to ask that, but I think those small drawbacks, um, you know, are, are, you know, nature of the gig, but I wouldn't want to try to do it without them. Yeah. I, I, and I've loved being on with you and Alan, you guys do a great job and, and listening to you guys, uh, I, I do like the way you kind of alternate questions and, and sometimes it seems like maybe even like not even planned questions, just like, Ooh, wait, what about this? Just going off. And so, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, so you've already kind of answered when did UCB begin? When did the UCB day at the ballpark start? And, and not only that, but I know you do that off season Q and a with John Mazalek as well. When did those two begin, and how is that something that even came about? Um, well, you're going to get the long story now. This is probably okay, going to telling me get me to start on the history of all this stuff. Back um, not too long after I got into blogging, I had a friend of mine that actually was working in the Cardinals. He was, I think, at tickets sales of something of that nature. But he sent me a press release. I don't remember exactly what about, but there was the media contact information said, you should try to have Bill DeWitt on your, I think it was, it was, it was um, used to be radio hour, Bill DeWitt third. I think there was an opportunity. And so we contacted him and he was agreeable. So he came on. And when he was on, I asked him, I said, can we have a blocker day at the ballpark? Cause I had seen other teams were doing other things. I know at that time the Mets were actually letting bloggers be on the, you know, they had a special like conference call with the manager and stuff like that. Every once in a while. Oh, cool. Yeah, and there was a lot of different things that back 10-plus years ago uh, teams were doing for the blogs. Everyone's one. And so he said, yeah, we can think about it. I spent the next year continuing to email the Cardinals with different things, and he came back on again the next year, and I think I hit him up again. And so finally, I guess I wore him down, and April, was it the second or third? It was that first weekend of April in 2011 was our first uh, day at the ballpark. Uh, Jaime Garcia pitched, and of course the Cardinals went on to win the World Series. And, and then we yeah, did you let them here. know? Did you make sure to let them know that? Yeah, that we've kind know? of pointed out that uh, <laughs> you know one they won that game for a while there. And I will say in 2010 they had a social media night. Uh, they had a couple of those early on. That was basically for anybody that was a Twitter person or a you could, you bought a special ticket. It wasn't exactly like Blocker Day, but between that and uh, blogger between the social media days and the blogger days, they were like, they won like the first six or seven of those kind of games. And we kept trying <laughs> to keep track of it. Um, but you know, they've been really gracious to continue to keep us back coming back. Um, every year they have, you know, it's not always been the same time of year, but um, except for this past year, of course, where there was nobody at the ballpark, but even then they did a, they did a zoom call. I mean, and I was out of the blue. I mean, honestly, I expected nothing this year. And then, you know, a couple of days beforehand, we got an email, you know, the bloggers got an email saying, you know, Zoom call this time. And um, which was cool. It was also like the day before the COVID stuff hit the Cardinals. So maybe we won't point that part out to them yeah, yeah, going yeah. forward. Keep that one hidden. Keep that yeah. One. As for the off-season q and I'm not, I'm honestly not 100% sure. I'm sure I just emailed um, our contacts. So we've had two or three different contacts in the, in the, communications or promotions or whatever that have set this up in the past. And I think I just said, Hey, can we have probably tried to get John Mosellock on one of our shows? I think this was the compromise to be able to send out to send questions to him. And he picks out a few to answer and, and gets us responses back. And he's done that. I think it's probably four or five years that he's done that now. So, you know, the Cardinals have been really, really good to us as an organization. I've treated us, um, 
I won't say they've treated us like the media or anything like that, but they've treated us uh, as a serious group, as people that are fans and that you know are knowledgeable fans. Okay, good. Um, all right, so kind of the last question in that same vein of like, mm-hmm. you know, origins or backgrounds. Uh, so you right now you you talked about how you've kind of written at different sites and and your your blog has kind of migrated multiple times. Right now you're at Cards Conclave. Um, but Cards Conclave seems to be this group of places. You've got Baseball Geek in Galveston and Bird Law, C70 at the Bat, BB at Musial, Red Dirt Redbird, West Coast Redbird, Pitchers at 8th, Prospect Creature. What was the idea behind that? Did you just like see these really good bloggers and just poach them to write with you? Or uh, how did that work? A little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick, um, Nick Waltz, who was a uh, pitcher's hit eighth, um, which it was a longtime blog of the Cardinals. And he and Josh Gilliam and uh, Dennis Lawson uh, all were writing there. And he and I spent a lot of time trying to discuss how to, because the one thing about blogging for a lot of people is they don't necessarily want to do it every day. But if you don't do it every day, it's difficult to build an audience. And so my, our, our general thought was, okay, we're going to get five or six bloggers together. I of course was writing about then almost every day, every other day, very regular. So there'd be something there every day. And then, you know, Nick might write on Monday and Colin Gardner was there for a little bit. He might write on a Wednesday and uh, Mike Metzger might write on a Friday, you know, that kind of thing. That was our plan it never really came to fruition as much as I would have liked it to, you know, again, people's lives get in the way and, you know, when you're not paying anybody, it's difficult to say, well, you have to write this day. You know, if you can't write, you can't write, you know, whatever. Um, but that was the idea. We've rotated blogs here and there. Um, for the most part, you're going to find my stuff at there, but, um, we wanted, you know, it was the idea of a big umbrella, but not necessarily team blog, not like Viva who has all these writers, but it's still just Viva. It was like, you could have your own blog. It was just all in one spot. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that, yeah, I can, I can see that. Uh, I'm yeah. just trying to think of my experience. Like uh, I, there's been a couple of blogs that have asked me to, to write there. And I, I, for the longest time I turned all of them down mm-hmm. uh, when I was doing flyover country and I don't, mean to say that as a brag or anything but um but my response to them was always you know with kids and with coaching and teaching that there's times where i might go a month between posts and they're like oh that's not gonna work and i said yeah I, I didn't think so you know that <laughs> that's something i've liked about birds on the black is i brought up that same concern to them and and they said hey just just write when you can write you know we'd like it to be at least once a month you know or once every couple of weeks, but, right. but right when it hits you, if that's every day for a while, go mm. for it. If that's, you know, big projects every once in a while, like your projections, go for it. And, and so that's one reason uh, I joined that group instead of maybe a different group. Um, but yeah, I yeah. can see like, like Viva Alberto's, it did mm-hmm. have to be very specific times and a couple other places that do pay did have to be very specific times and I just couldn't commit to it. Um, All right. So the rest of the episode tonight, I wanted to do a whole bunch of just little potpourri questions, however many can get to. Um, So the first one, I know the answer to, but I want to hear the reason why behind it. Um, And for each of these, I've got my own answer. And so we can either have me go first or you go first or alternate or however you want. Uh, If you want to hear my answer first, just let me know. Um, But I I want to know the answer to why when we say we'd rather be a tornado why is your answer definitely no? Well, I mean, one, you know, I'm a traditional type of person, and that's what I've grown up with. I mean, if I had been an American League fan my entire life, then I'm sure that the DH wouldn't bother me as much. But, you know, my my thinking on the DH, and again, I understand the whole argument of getting another bat in the lineup. Although, when you hear that, you know, they were put on the broadcast today that last year DH has hit like 231. I'm not sure where we're going to get with that. It's better than a pitcher. I get you, but it's still not necessarily going to be, you know, all of a sudden we're slugging, but I'm also not a huge, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a one Oh two, two, one type of guy than a 10, eight type of guy too. So that's, that boils down to it. But 
you know, there is so much greatness in the unexpected in baseball, right? And what is more unexpected than a a pitcher getting a double, you know, in a big moment? And and like Adam Wainwright said, you know, that just messes with the other pitcher's psyche if if you give up a big hit to a pitcher. Um, You know, again, I know that's not the most logical of arguments. I also think that there's a little bit more strategic management, not in the should you bunt, should you pinch hit, but more of the it's been five and two thirds guys got a runner on first and second, you know, but you know, can he get one more out or do you pit, do you bring him, you know, do you bring somebody else in because he's batting, you know, second in the bottom of the inning, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so those where I'm at with the DH, I get that it's not going to be around. I mean, we're going to have the DH probably in 2022 and I'm sure after a while I'll get used to it. I found myself last year, especially, really getting confused about where we were in the lineup. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, yeah. you know, I, I, I used to be, okay, this, okay, there's seven, eight. Okay. There's the pitcher ninth. And it's like, wait, how many people do we have left here before we return? <laughs> flip it over? Um, yeah. But you know, uh, I get that it's coming, but I also think that, you know, this is, it's nine, the argument of nine men, you know, having to contribute on both sides of the ball instead of, you know, one guy that will pitch, and not hit. And then one guy that will hit and not do anything else um, has some, some significant problems. Now, you know, for me and everybody's like, well, pitchers can't hit. I'd take the DH away from everybody. And then the pitchers would hit probably a little bit better if they got more practice at it, but that's just me. Yeah. Okay. So my answer to that one is, uh, I don't know. I kind of, there's a couple of these. I kind of take a cop out. I feel like <laughs> in my heart of hearts, I'm exactly with you on that one. Um, and, and the big point you brought up where I'm at it's a game for nine players. Mm-hmm. Right now, one And it's always been a game of nine players um, for the entire history of baseball, basically, except right. for the AL the last year. Um, and I, now I'm kind of, I think it started when Adam Wainwright was a And as we keep hearing how inevitable it is for the I feel like I, I've just mentally been preparing myself and not only that, but coming around to be in favor for it at this point. Um, I feel like especially in the last two or three years with the lack of action already in today's game mm-hmm. in batters one through eight, that just adding another hitter is probably better for the even though there's an expected moment, yeah, I feel like the whole game is turning unexpected. How, how low batting average is being that it might be better just to have that slightly better chance of getting a, a ball in play or getting those extra base hits because they're so few and yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, you're right. The game is different than it is. It was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, probably even. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, shifts and such of that matter make it even a little less likely for anybody to hit, much less a pitcher. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's arguments for that for sure. Um, you know, I just, I think we're going to miss out a little bit on that, you know, that history and that connection to the, early days of, of baseball, but, um, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't really think it's a step way slope, but, you know, is there at some point in time going to be a, you know, a pinch runner for catchers? Cause they're really not designed for running. Um, right. or and, like softball where, you know, two outs in an inning. Now there's a pinch runner for a catcher to speed the game along or something. Like right. that. Yeah. Something like that. I don't, you know, I would say no, but I also wouldn't rule it out. I will say, Somebody pointed out that the DH is like 50 years old now. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's, you know, a little bit more of history enamored in that now. Um, I, yeah. I, I grant that. All right. So along those same lines, uh, I really wish I remember who this was and I should have looked it up since I'm the one running this podcast, but <laughs> one of the national sports writers, I don't know if it's Jason Stark or I don't think it was Dan Sheehan, um, but somebody said, well, another idea out there is instead of having nine batters with a DH or nine batters with 
a pitcher hitting, what about if we just eliminate both positions out of the batting order and go with an eight-man batting order, and it's just the catcher, infield, and outfield hitting, so eight batters without pitcher hitting. If it had to come down to the NL gaining the DH or both sides losing a batter in the order, which which would you be on the side of? If you're going to do that, you have to have the DH. Um, I mean, baseball is a game of it's a game of threes to some degree, you know, three outs, nine innings, multiples of three. But also, I mean, we talked about this last year, at least Alan and I did a little bit um, here and there is, you know, seven inning double headers and the, the um, extra runner in the extra innings that kind of takes away that connection or comparability to, you know, earlier, you know, you're getting, you're not having the same thing. You don't have the same game. Um, if you went to eight batters, I mean, that would be significant change. Uh, it, it increased offense. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you're going to see these guys getting up, you know, that much more often. Um, but I think for the, you know, just the, I don't know what the word is. Integrity, I guess, is the best, best way to put it of, of the game. And if it's history, you'd have to go to the AH in both sides then. Yeah. And I came down on the same side of that one as well. Um, the, and, and almost for the exact same reason, I said, if if we do the, the eight-man order, I feel like we're going to be seeing guys with 750 to 800 plate appearances in a season. Mm-hmm. And what would that do to the record book? You know, yeah. I mean, would we see a hundred home run guy at some point with the way the game is trending? And I don't know, that, that's just weird at the moment. Um, <laughs> all right. The next two you just brought up. So runner on second and extras or no, and then seven inning double headers. Um, and so th- those you just brought up um, for me, I didn't like the runner on second one for exactly what you said. I mean, I think I don't even know if major league baseball knows, you know, I, I, I know there was a rule on, on file for last year, but who is that runner applied to? And I think they said that it's not. Applied to yeah. It's an unearned run. I think pitcher and it's an unearned run. And well, if it's an unearned run, who made the error? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. like, well, baseball made the error, apparently. <laughs> um, as far as the seven inning double headers go, um, I really didn't mind it during the regular season, but with the caveat of if it's necessary to make up the game. I think if they're scheduling double headers at any point, they need to be not. Um, but I don't mind the seven for makeup game. I mean, we, we can end games early for rain after five innings. Mm-hmm. Then why can't we do two steps to make up? Um, so that's my take on those. What was your take on those? Well, the runner on second, I really didn't like. And I really didn't like it because you got a pitcher that comes in and he's got a runner on second automatically. He didn't do anything about it. Gets the first two outs. And we saw this at least once with the Cardinals last year. Gets the first two outs. And then gives up some sort of flare hit that, you know, normally is just a little weak single and you get the next guy. And instead it scored a run that could be the ball game, you know, um, not that and it happened it sometimes in games anyway, but at least they, you know, the batter had to earn his way on. To, it just kind of felt like a cheap way of ending it. You always were walking that tightrope and not being able to make a mistake. And I didn't, I didn't care for that. Seven and double headers last year were pretty good um, for last year. Um, especially if the Cardinals had had to play nine inning double headers for the 18 of them that they played last year, that would have been pretty terrible. <laughs> um, I think that, I think this is not necessarily a big issue right now, at least because, you know, assuming good, good health, assuming there's not a pandemic, you're talking about what one or two double hitters a year, maybe after a rainout or something like that, probably. Um, if you go seven, if you go nine, it's not a big deal. I think you should go nine that in those cases, but if you had to go seven, okay, fine. The only issue is going to be that if they decide to try to do something in the new CBA where you get more days off, but you're automatically going to have more double headers and they're going to be seven inning varieties. I'd rather see nine, but if they did seven, I'm, you know, it's not too bad. There, there was a, there was a speed to that thing. Um, you know, and it did feel like it almost like felt, even more than normal, whoever scored first in a game like that probably was going to win. Yeah, I, I felt like the urgency factor was definitely mm-hmm. higher in those games, which was kind of cool because then the urgency factor was higher twice in the same day. Yeah. And so that that was kind of fun about it. All right, so this one's pretty open-ended. If you and I don't, 
I feel bad. I don't have a good answer for this one. And so well, I understand. Makes two of us. Okay. I don't know. I understand if you don't, but if you could add one rule or enforce one rule that's not being enforced well to make the game a better game of baseball. Um, boy, and that is a, that is a tough question. I mean, I think the easy thing is to say, you know, call the strike zone, um, a little bit more consistently and a little bit more, um, to the point where it encourages people to, uh, get that. But I think the one rule I would enforce more, um, as I have watched Anthony Rizzo for the last few years is <laughs> if you get hit by a pitch, you don't move out of the way you stay there. Um, I think they should do that because nowadays, and I mean, you know, they've got enough padding enough armor, you know, there's, there's stuff that the ball most of the time isn't going to be a significant issue to them to the point that they're not stepping away from it. They're you know, half the time stepping into it. Um, so yeah, I think that's really the one that I would enforce more is just saying, you know, if you don't make an effort to get out of the way, then you just, it's a ball and you stay there. Fair enough. I think I would enforce time limits more, the, the pitch mm-hmm. clock and the, and the hitter getting out in and out of the batter's box. I think yeah. if I had to choose something that's already on the book, that's what I would go with, with, with baseball having a pace of play problem. That's where I'd probably go. It's not going to lengthen or shorten games by a tradition, like a, a significant amount or anything like that. But I feel like more it'll it'll lead to more action more quickly, um, and I think that's the biggest. Problem. I will say along with that because you when you said that it made me think about it. You know, I really didn't care for the idea of mound visits not being numbered, um, but it seems like that's not as big of a deal now. Of course, you know they've got their you know charts and graphs on top of their you know and they're padding and they pull the cards out and they don't have to necessarily you know talk to each other but that just i don't think we've ever seen a situation where this they even talk about how many mound visits a team has left they just don't do it as much anymore and it hasn't been as much of an impact as i thought it'd be agree that's something i actually haven't even thought about in that probably a year mm-hmm. so yeah obviously out of sight out of mind almost exactly um Okay, so speaking of like things that make the game more exciting, would you rather see your team win in a game where they get five or more extra base hits or five or more stolen bases? Well, as Cardinal fans, we're supposed to say stolen bases, right? Um, as traditional, Only if you grew up uh, in the 80s. Yeah, I guess it depends. If you followed, you know, I, I am C70. If you followed McGuire enough, maybe it's the extra base hits. I think, uh, you know, one, as long as they win, they win. That's that's my big thing. But, uh, yeah, I think the stolen bases would be interesting in part right now because it's a novelty, right? I mean, you know, to see somebody, somebody a team steal five bases is like huge now. Five extra base hits doesn't feel like as much. So from a novelty factor, at least, and there is a little bit more excitement of a guy, especially if they're trying to steal second or third or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I guess the only other caveat is, did they win with five triples? Because uh, triples, you know, like huge. But um, I've got stolen bases. All right, fair enough. Um, I did live through the 2015 Royals and 2014 Royals teams <laughs> in, in here in Kansas City, and so I, I, I can appreciate that. I think, I think I would actually lean the other way because you can use speed in other ways than just stolen bases, true, and true. the Cardinals have had a lack of extra base pop the last couple of years. Mm. Um, I think I would like to see a bunch of five extra base hit wins this year. Um, I, I think that might be a little, a little, a little more, more beneficial to the club at the moment. <laughs> That's bad. Um, all right. So I had three questions on the books left over, but I think, uh, two of them are going to take a little longer. So we're just going to go with those two and see how much time we have left for the last one. Um, since you're running that best Cardinals podcast bracket right now on Twitter, uh, my question to you is if you could only follow one Cardinals broadcast that does not involve you or I, so no media visual, no gateway, gateway to baseball heaven, uh, no sucking up and saying conversations with Saruti, <laughs> if you could only follow one for an entire season, which podcast would it be and why? Which uh, Cardinals podcast would be? Cardinals podcast. And I, I, hate to, I hate to do this because I, I feel like I should be, you know, unbiased toward all of them. Um, that being said, um, I don't get a chance to listen to as many podcasts as I used to just because my we moved a couple of years ago and now my commute went from like 10 minutes each way to like a minute each way. Um, 
so and that's usually where I listen to him is in the car. Um, but I typically make an effort to listen to Alex and Tara on Terps. Um, that's that's one that you know they do put it out weekly. Um, they put it out and they're talking about what's going on. Um, I don't. It, it's a it's a good conversation, um, you know. And and I will say because I picked theirs, but I will say that I have listened to all nine of yours. So um, yours is, is right up there as well, but I wasn't allowed to pick that one. So um, Alex and Tara would probably be my next one. You know, I always enjoy listening to Kyle. Um, the problem is, is when he does do pad and I get the chance to listen to it, it's like two hour long show and it takes me like 10 weeks to actually listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I would probably pick chirps because they, they do a broken job. I do love chirps with Tara and Alex. I feel like uh, me choosing that one would have been a home of as well, being birds <laughs> on the black. So I steered clear of that one. Uh, my answer to this one, I think I'd go with the best contest in baseball. Um, I feel like the, the insight to what the team is, is doing, uh, matched with his kind of grouping of guests, you know, Ben Fred or Ben Hoff or, or bringing in Kevin Wheeler or Mike Claiborne or whatever. I feel like. It's just a good combination. It gives a very diverse set of knowledge. So yeah. uh, that one, I think, is the one. Yeah, I mean, that's All what, right. I mean, you can't do no, what, you can't go wrong with Derek Gould. So, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. at least in knowledge-wise. I mean, there were times where Derek can rub you the wrong way, maybe when you're listening to him, but he's going to know everything. So, Yeah. Um, and, and I think that he even does – as strange as this is going to sound, because I don't know that everybody will agree with me from my eyes. I feel like he does a good job of when he, when he doesn't know an answer, he does a good job of explaining, well, you know, this is the reporting on that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, but you know, I've, you know, like I've got thoughts on this, but, but as far as reporting goes, here's what, what the team right. would say and stuff like yeah. that. So I think you get a good sense of where the team's at on something versus where he is. And, and, and all that too. Um, yep. All right. So, last question of the night. We've kind of been playing commission a little bit. The uh, rules, things that we like, things that we don't. Um, I always feel like so. I, I try to follow as many of the sports like and uh, major sports in our country. And the NFL is obviously the biggest. Makes the most money, so in that way, it's kind of the best business. Um, and I think one of the best things about their business models is the 32 teams. Four divisions, or the eight divisions and four divisions. Um, I think it helps with scheduling. Symmetry. Uh, it's kind of strange. Baseball has 30 teams. So the 15, 16, all these other teams playing by the other set of rules at some point there, like every night. Um, so if I was the commissioner, I'd want to expand my team to be If you were the commissioner and you were going to expand to two I mean, you know, assuming you're going to actually be logical about this and not put one in Little Rock so I can be there every uh, <laughs> every little bit. I don't know that Little Rock's ready for a, a major league team, however. Um, <clears throat> you know, out of the major con- ones that you hear about, you know, what, Nashville, Montreal, Vancouver, um, Portland, uh, San Antonio, uh, those are, the, I guess those are the main, main ones you really hear often. I think I'd probably try Nashville. Um, I think it's at a spot where, you know, it's a kind of a dead spot for baseball as well. I mean, you've got the Braves, you've got the Cardinals, and you probably get up to, you know, Cincinnati, but um, that area could be one. Charlotte would be another possibility, but I think I'd go with Nashville, and then I might go with Portland. I mean, if nothing else, let the Mariners have somebody they don't have to fly 15 hours to get to. Um, you know, try those two. Um, I, I get the, the pull from Montreal and apparently it's doing a little bit better. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily all their fault that they lost the team that they did lose. Um, you know, I, I think Charlotte's really a growing area, but you know, if I had to pick, I'd probably go those two. What do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of lean the way you leaned. Um, I definitely would go Portland or Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I think what that would do would allow you to have a, a match with the Mariners, and then Seattle, or sorry, San Fran and Oakland would be able to make a match with the um, and if you only add one in the West like that, you get uh, the two LA teams, Um I think in the Northeast, you're pretty set. You've got the New York, New York, Philly, grouping, uh, Toronto, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, is that Great Lakes grouping. Um, and then I think in the Midwest, you could be set as well if you add that West. Colorado, KC, St. Louis, Southern Midwest, or Middle Midwest, and then the Northern Midwest would be Chicago, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minnesota, geographically. Um, and that leaves basically the entire South and Southeast where you could add the So that's where I would get stuck. I think I'd want to do, uh, I've narrowed it down to four. I think Nashville, Charlotte, you mentioned, um, you could add either New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Or Oklahoma City, or Sandy, uh, San Antonio, like you said, I completely left out like San Antonio, Austin. I don't know why I just didn't even look at the state of Texas. I think because they already have two teams, but there's sure. so many, so many people there that that you could probably do a San Antonio or an Austin. So I yeah. could maybe narrow it down to six instead of four. Um, but if you did any of those, I feel like you could you could get a pretty good grouping of like I, I feel like it would be Miami. Tampa, Baltimore, Washington in one division. And then Atlanta, Texas, Houston, and whatever that other team, whether it's Tampa, Charlotte, Oklahoma City, or one of the other Texas teams. I don't know. Maybe you move Tampa Bay to Texas and and put Atlanta with Miami and Baltimore and Washington, but I think one of those on that corner kind of get screwed over a little bit. Yeah. Now, I will say that it was been a number of years ago. It's before the luxury tax and the all that. But there was an idea that I was always fond of with the idea of putting a third team in New York to kind of cut down on some of the financial resources that, especially the Yankees, the Mets have done their own job of foiling those type of things. Now, it's not as much of an issue as it is in these days, but I do kind of, just because of the history of the thing, would love to see a third team up there, but you're right. It kind of messes with the geogra- geographical balance uh, that you're looking for. So, and you know, no way that the no other two New York teams would allow that to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. I think if, if they ended up trying to go to 40 or something, I don't see how they could get away with not adding a third there in LA. Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, maybe even a third in Chicago at that point, but I don't think so. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying that, I, I don't know that I'd ever really heard that theory. But yeah, I don't. You know, like I said, it's it's a long time ago, and but that idea of you know some of that media money would probably kind of get split out. But you know, right now I think maybe the Yankees have enough of a you know built-in head start that you would be difficult. You probably wind up just cannibalizing from the Mets, and you'd have the Yankees being the strong New York team, and these other two teams just kind of battling it out. But you know, that's historical too, a little bit too, right? It was the Giants, the Dodgers always battling um, right. and the Yankees uh, in the World Series. So, <laughs> True, true. All right. Well, um, I did have, I mean, I, I've got one more question listed if you wanted to talk some more. Um, you, you're never going to get me to shut up. And, okay, I mean, well. It kind of boils down to it. I mean, if you've got time, I got time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do one more um, and then... And then that'll make fans wanting for more, and I'll have to have you back at some point. Um, so me being the more stats-heavy guy that I am when I write, um, my question for you is, what are your favorite statistics to use when evaluating hitters, hitters and pitchers? Because I feel like I get that question a bunch, so I wanted to hear somebody else's perspective. You know, I mean, you're right. I'm not as much... I grew up, I feel like, I, I may be wrong, but I feel like I'm a little bit older than you are. Um, and so I came uh, into, I was at college, just out of college, um, before the sabermetric revolution came along. And while I appreciate all the new stats, I don't always necessarily understand. I mean, I understand them, I get the grasp of it, but they don't always stick to me like 
batting average and home runs at RBI do. Um, so, boy, I don't know. I like, you know, I like seeing more, of course. But to judge pitchers, the biggest thing I look at pitchers is strikeouts per inning to some degree. I like to see a pitcher have a strikeout an inning, um, you know, if that's the case. That's that I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, that's one of the reasons I've been a little bit hesitant on Dakota Hudson because he doesn't strike out enough batters. Um, but you know, honestly, I, I go find smart people and see what they say. Um, so that's why I read what you say. And then I say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, well, uh, it, I'm glad that you come to me as a quote unquote smart person. I appreciate it. Yeah. So what are you using? So I think it depends on what I'm looking for. For pitchers, um, I think there's a good argument to look at strikeouts and walks for nine innings. I think mm-hmm. I think there's actually a better argument to look at save percentage and walk percentage. Yeah. Um, because and the argument kind of behind that one is, you know, if I'm a guy that strikes out, you know, one guy per inning, you know, if I'm a nine strikeouts per nine or one K per inning guy. It's a lot different if I allow two batters on for it than if sure. I allow a batter every other. You know, uh, that's the difference between striking out two out of every seven guys and two out of every ten guys. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a good argument. To be um, I do kind of like K to walk ratio. Uh, just I, I want to see that number three or above. Um, I, I do like whip still, even though it's, yeah. I feel like in the sabermetric circles, it's kind of becoming passe, but I do like whip still because it's just how many base runners do you allow per inning. Um, and that kind of helps me if I, if I don't have K percentage handy, just by pays pays per nine and walks per nine that I can look at the whip and say, okay, well, he's still not allowing many base runners. So, so that case per nine is a little heavier. Um, honestly, I kind of break some sabermetric molds when I say this as well, but while ERA may not be great in small samples, like Jack Flaherty, right? Jack Flaherty had about a 491 ERA, I think it was. Right. But I want to say if you take out one start in September, he was at a 3-1-3. Because, right. you know, he allowed nine runs when they left him out there. But they left them out there because they had used so many players lately. They just said, you're going to have to bite a bullet on this one. Sorry. And, you know, that pretty much ruins the race here. But when you're looking at large sample sizes, um, ERA in the future seems to kind of stabilize to itself a little bit. Um, and so you can see trends more quickly with things like BIP or XBIP or Sierra or XERA or whatever the case may be, the newest trend uh, ERA estimator. But um, over big samples, I think ERA does a really good job. Um, see, I but, think, it, well, I just want to, and I think that's because it goes to what you're saying with ERA to some degree, is I think a lot of the old stats that I grew up with are still relevant. You just have to know a little bit more about them. I mean, 100 RBI doesn't necessarily mean you're a great player or anything like that, but 100 RBI is still a good season, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that you're the best player on the team, but you drove in 100 runs. I mean, that's that's helpful. Um, you know, I think that if you can look at, you know, the fact that, yes, pitcher wins don't mean everything, um, but there's still something about a 20-win season, right? Maybe maybe there shouldn't be, but there still is. Um, if you understand that you don't judge a guy by his win-loss record um, and things of that nature, if you understand the context behind them, I think you can still use them, at least I do, as a kind of a quick and dirty type of thing, knowing that they're not to be an, an end-all like they were 30 years ago. Yeah, so I think there's two main things about that. One is like you said, context where there's no stat in the world that in a vacuum is the best stat in the world. You know, mm-hmm. War with no context tells you nothing about the player except for whether he's good or not, right? Right. You know, if I have Harrison Bader with a two and a half four season, 
compared to a 2015-2018 style version of Matt Carpenter two and a half, four seasons, you go, oh, they were a slightly above average player. Well, that doesn't tell you that Bader maybe only had 400 plate appearances and that two-thirds of it comes from his defensive value, whereas Matt Carpenter may have had zero come from his defensive value and all the stick, and he had 650. Um, and so I think, yeah, make sure you have the comments first. Um, and the second thing with that, um, I'm completely blanking on where I was going to go with the second thing, so I might come back to that later. Um, no, it's not coming to me. Okay, so for hitters, what are you looking at? Uh, oh, I know what it was with RBI. So I think the other thing I was going to say was, you know, I, I think that when you come up with big rounded numbers, like 20 or 100 RBI, yeah, I think those things are going to be a little bit more. I think that when you, when it comes down to if you're somebody who's still trying to say, well, this guy's better because he had a 300 average and 20 homers and 80 RBI, whereas this guy hit 290 with 22 homers but only 75 RBI or something like that, well, those 10 points of batting average and those five RBI, what's the context for that? Right. If you're, you know, maybe the first guy who got 80 RBI was batting third for his team up a hundred more times than people on base. And maybe the second guy was batting six and he still somehow got 75 RBIs. He also added 40 doubles. <laughs> the first guy only had 15 doubles. And so, uh, just looking at those triple crowns. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought I heard no, you jumping in there. Okay. No, I, 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 but yeah, I think that, you know, yeah, you're right. And we know so much more than we did now. We, I mean, the stuff that, you know, that some people like, like Joe, Cup Joe, who ho- hopefully isn't going to listen to this because I'm saying something nice about him. Um, but the stuff that he was putting out when he was writing and some of the other stuff, uh, you know, with the, the heat maps and the trailing and all that stuff, you know, the, the gift, if, if gifts didn't do what he did with those posts, I would have absolutely no clue. I still didn't have much of a clue. Um, but there's so much information out there now that it's, it's a lot easier to say, you know, okay, this is, this is what he had. This is why it's good. This is why it's not. Um, we understand what goes behind those numbers. Um, but you don't, you still don't just dis- completely discard those numbers. I mean, I'm sure we're getting to the point on broadcast where you're not going to see batting average very often. You're going to see OPS. Um, and even that's, you know, what that's, that's an old stat pretty much now for people. And that OPS didn't exist when I was in college, um, right. at least not officially. Um, so, but you know, home runs, RBI, I think some of that stuff that's always going to be there just because the casual fan needs some of that connection to the game. Um, it's just kind of us people that are maybe more involved that then need all the context that goes with it. You know, unfortunately, those you know, that becomes difficult to talk. Oh, yeah, 20 OMs, he's a great pitcher. No, but, you know, then, you know, if no, you're not his talking season, His season had some very good meaning there. That, you know, he he <laughs> yeah. pitched in a lot of important important games to that team to get 20 wins. Yep, um, yep. The other four pitchers have done that to be a win team. <laughs> or heck, nowadays we're starting to head towards six man rotations. They'd be 120 wins. Yeah, I mean, you got beat those Mariners. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with the Mariners people um, when I did playing Pepper and we did that interview. I was looking them up and saw they had the six man and they, you know, they had a, I think it's reasonable, they had a reasonable argument or the Mariners did about, you know, trying to build up innings because of missing all of last year. I know it's not quite your piggyback um, option, but, um, you know, it's something. And uh, it's a, a little bit surprising that other teams haven't, but, you know, baseball is a, traditional type of game at some points in time and you know to try to get pitchers to pitch every sixth day instead of every fifth day uh, would probably be a little bit too much to try to to deal with all right um well i am going to end this with uh since you brought up uh cardinals gifts um i'm going to end this with a lot of the stuff i do i feel like you know i don't think i do 
much of it as well as Joe does. So again, hopefully he's not listening and, and <laughs> puffing out his chest even more here. But he's in um, Disneyland now. He's definitely not paying any attention. Okay, good. We picked a good time to talk about yeah. him. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, my work has gotten so much better because of working with him and Nick mm. Childress as well. And being able to show those visuals, especially when it's stuff where yeah. I'm trying to explain to maybe a fan who doesn't know about, uh, well, I haven't done much with like spin axis, but, but about like pitch tunneling or seeing different pitches hitting the same areas and, and things like that. Um, I feel like he does such a good job of contextualizing that for people. And, and so I'm very grateful to be, not only be a part of birds on the black for that, but, but to be able to work with him and to, to not only know his work, but, uh, Everybody at Birds on the Black, just how great of people they are behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Too. It's, it's been such a good experience for me. Um, anyway, uh, I think that's we're, we're sitting at 59 minutes and 30 seconds uh, prior to me adding in the wonderful Stu Styles arrangement at the beginning. So um, I feel like I've probably taken enough of your guys' time for tonight. Uh, for Daniel Shopton and myself, this has been Saruti, and this was Conversations with Saruti. Um, Until next time, have a wonderful week or two or whenever I can get to the next one. Bye.